Hello and welcome to The Local Loop, Episode 2, where this month we'll be talking about high-performance hardware for service provider scalability in modern architectures. I'm your host, Aubrey King with Dev Central, and joining me this month is Aki Maruse. Security spans across uh, multiple layers, not just data plane, but control plane or management workloads. Tim Michaels. We almost can get back to that world, yet still have all the, the benefits of the virtualization we've enjoyed over the last 10 years. And Lockwinder Singh. Do I have to develop application for different vendors, or is there a common SDK type of approach that these guys uh, uh, these guys have? Strap on those earbuds and get ready for the local loop, where the provider meets the community. So thank you for joining me this month, guys. Uh, really quick, just kind of to get the listeners educated. I, Aki, could you give us a, a little bit about? who you are and, and what you do. Okay. I've been with F5 for around 10 years, working in the SB industry, traveling around the world, helping service providers. So uh, right now I'm in the product management organization, looking into today's topic, uh, technology like XVUs, and uh, I'll be talking about that later. Uh, thanks, Aubrey. Thank you. Uh, I guess same question, Tim. Yeah, hi there. My name is Tim Michaels. I'm a distinguished engineer at F5, um, and I've been at F5 17 years. I come out of the uh, the purpose-built appliance and chassis group originally, doing FPGA and uh, custom system design work. But as a distinguished engineer now, I, I work at the top of the systems group as well as in the office of the CTO, and I'm a member of our uh, technical awards group, which is a collection of the DEs and technical fellows. Fantastic. And lastly, Lockwinder. Hey guys, uh, hi Aubrey again. I'm a solutions engineer at F5. I support customers and uh, help them uh, adapting our new solutions and uh, show them how new solutions can change their uh, internal networks and uh, internal operations. Great. Well, welcome, gentlemen. I uh, I love having you on the show. It's a, a really neat topic this week that we've got. So I guess kind of right out of the gates, some people that might have seen the title for this one are wondering, what is an IPU or a DPU? I'm familiar with a CPU, of course, but what is a, an, an IPU and a DPU? So uh, let me start, get started. Uh, IPU, infrastructure processing unit, DPU, data processing unit. It's somewhat a evolution of a smart NIC where it fits into a host node in a PCIe form factor. So. That uh, I think we can go into the details of uh, you know what uh, the difference between smart NICs and IPUs and stuff, but uh, in short, it's a card that plugs into a host node. Okay, and then D DPU, same same kind of idea. Yeah, I IPU and DPU, I would say, are synonymous terms. Most of the people in the industry are saying DPU. Intel has branded IPU. And so we use both terms interchangeably. And so people even say XPU, but that's a little gray because then you're saying, well, does that include GPUs too, if you put an X there? And while a DPU might include an AI acceleration component, that doesn't make it a GPU. So IPU, DPU is, is, is clearer, I think, right now. And, I, and to touch on what, what differentiates it from a Spartanic, you know, they share this idea that it's a card plugged into a server. But I think the real differentiations you can uncover those in the hardware, but it's clear if you talk about the use case. So a smart neck is built on top of a foundational neck and is all about providing acceleration for functions on an application running on the server. So I'm an application on the server. Can you offload part of my network? 
can you offload some of my crypto or my compression? Can you offload my storage access? That's what a Spartanik is doing. A DPU wants to go beyond that and say, hey, I'm not going to just be tied to an application on the server. I'm going to declare independence from the server. I'm going to run a true workload on the car itself. And the accelerators on that card are accelerating the application running on the car. That is a paradigm shift. And we say an application on the card, is it just any app? No, it's an infrastructure service app. It's a load balancer. It's a firewall. It's something that you might have hosted on the server alongside your workloads, but now you're going to leave the, the business workloads on the server and you're going to move those infrastructures pieces as whole cloth services and run those completely on the DPU. And the SmartNIC cannot do that, and that is not the SmartNIC model. So when you talk about this paradigm shift and the change in the model, that's where the IBU DPU comes in. And it can do that model change because the attributes of what it's built with are different. And Tim, uh, following up on that explanation, why don't we beef up CPU, but like put a CPU on the network interface card? What are the limitations of the server that we are solving by bringing compute more closer to the network interface card? I mean, essentially that's that's what we're saying here. We've brought compute resources and put them on the card, right? But it's more than that. It's the card needs to be self-booting. The card needs to have its own non-volatile storage. The card needs to have its own network identity so it can be provisioned externally. That can be booted externally. It can have infrastructure workloads positioned on top of it independently of its host, right? It's really getting this independence. And, and there are many reasons for this. You want to get this separation because you want to free up the compute between the two use cases, right? The business app versus the infrastructure so that you don't end up with this busy neighbor pollution problem that we have today. You want to create hardline security boundaries so that your infrastructure cannot be compromised, right? By malware running on the business app side and vice versa. And, and really, if, if you look at what's going on with Amazon AWS, they pioneered this with their Nitro arc. And with Nitro, they built a series of ASICs, they put them on cards, and they moved all their infrastructure workloads onto those cards. And that's really what the DPU market is following, is the example that, that Amazon started at AWS, and now others like Azure and GCP have followed. But we'd like that kind of innovation, right, to the private clouds and the rest of the world. Exactly. So uh, Tim said a very important word, boundary or independence, right? So if you look at uh, those cloud players, the way they built the cloud is very important because DPUs or IPUs can bring the infrastructure operations people the power to control and manage the infrastructure while separating completely the workload of infrastructure from the application workload so that the infrastructure ops people have the independence to define how infrastructure is uh, secured or accelerated in terms of networking. So one of the early terms that I like where uh, the DP was called, uh, I think I like the word server class because that uh, defines what a DPU looks like, where it has the server capabilities, but it also has the offload capabilities for uh, networking, storage, and security. So I think that's the uh, definition of what is a DPU. I'm going back to the initial question of what is DPU, but I think uh, that represents how DPU is positioned or compared to a smart NIC where it's very different. You can start up the DPU uh, without, you know, relying on the host. Is it fair to say Aki is the server inside the server? Well, it, it has all of the server capabilities, but the 
biggest difference is that DPUs or IPUs generally have a offload capability, a hardware acceleration type of capability on the car, which is very different from a standard server where it has some form of FPGA or some form of programmable chip that uh, can offload security, networking, and storage. So that's the big difference between a pure CPU-based server and a, a DPU or an IPU, which has uh, the power to accelerate infrastructure workloads. Physically, when you look at it, Lockwinder, that's true. It's, it's a server inside a server. But I think logically, it can look like a server beside a server. Right? You have a server for your business apps, you have a server for your infrastructures. At Docky's point, people like Red Hat have been pursuing a dual cluster model where there is a Kubernetes cluster for the business apps that the DevOps guys control. But there's a separate independent Kubernetes cluster for the infrastructure apps right? that the, DevOps, that the SecOps and NetOps people are. Right? And it gives us a really nice separation of concerns from a management and controllability standpoint that kind of brings us back to the old days when we had two and three tier architectures where you had switches, routers, firewalls that were controlled by NetOps, SecOps, and then you had the servers controlled by DevOps. We almost can get back to that world, yet still have all the, the benefits of the virtualization that we've enjoyed over the last 10 years. And I think this does help us service providers who are trying to reduce their costs because NFE, even though there were a lot of great outcomes out of NFE, but the server stack was going up and up. The hardware cost was going up and up because of the essential security functions. So this might help reduce those costs by uh, you know, using DPU or a card that can offload those functions onto the card. Yeah, exactly. So scaling the security functions like firewall, that's one of the key aspects of how this DPU technology can help because it, where you have hundreds or thousands of servers and if you had to build a firewall for them, you would need to aggregate it with uh, layer three networking and then uh, build a cluster of uh, firewalls with, you know, a high CPU capacity. But once you go into this distributed world where a host node can have a DPU alongside with it, the scale out of a, a security infrastructure is uh, very contained within the host capability so that you can scale the security with the host and you don't need to worry about aggregation and disaggregation. Uh, the firewall function can stay on the DPU core specific for that uh, host workload, uh, but the security uh, context is totally separated from the host application so that you can secure the uh, application purely as an infrastructure function. So th that's a very critical use case that we would like to address because F5 is a player in the security space and that's one of the reasons why F5 is serious about looking into this technology. Is it is it just the firewall function that can make use of this acceleration or this offload or there are other functions on the user plane as well. Where the industry is heading and how SPs are using these IPUs, DPUs, just uh, or XPUs, uh, back to Tim's point, is it just the security offload or UPF and other functions can also be offloaded? Well, uh, the data plane can be offloaded uh, on the DPU. And actually, it's not just the uh, service providers, but large enterprises building private clouds. They are also uh, the target for uh, this DPU technology. But uh, Many data plane functions uh, will benefit, uh, but also uh, there are control plane functions, right? So uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there are three main aspects that DPU can accelerate. Uh, networking, which is mostly a data plane thing, 
and security. Security spans across uh, multiple layers, not just data plane, but control plane or management workloads and uh, storage, uh, which is uh, another interesting use case for the application workload itself. So there are so many use cases that we cannot cover in this uh, short uh, podcast, but uh, it, it is a very interesting technology. Yeah, as uh, Aki called out the big three, and there's sort of a fourth one, uh, which is the virtualization where you basically move the hypervisor level controls to the to the DPU, which means that anything on the host cannot overcome those controls because they're not on that compute. And you take out side channel attacks and all these other things that are facilitated by a shared CPU because now the point of control, the hypervisor is now down in the DPU. It's not on the main CPU in the server. But that's, that's sort of a metal as a service or a bare metal use case where a cloud provider or a managed service provider is trying to provide a bare metal-like service, right, to their customer. And so you can get there without being really letting them on the metal, essentially. You can maintain the security and yet give them a bare metal experience. So for, for people who are unfamiliar with DPU or, or some of this technology or and maybe have just seen SmartNICs, are we talking a different set of vendors here? Like if I'm a server administrator looking for my next project to scale out an internal cloud or whatever, am I looking at highly specialized vendors for this or are there some of the same players that are in the space right now? Yeah, it's the big silicon vendors that you would expect, right? So it's NVIDIA with their line of Bluefield devices, Bluefield 2, now Bluefield 3, Bluefield 4, maybe in 2024. That line of devices uh, from NVIDIA Intel has a device called the uh, Mount Evans, which is called an N2000, I think now, that they co-developed with Google because they're they're building the underlay of GCP with that device, but they're also making it available right to the merchant market. So there's the NVIDIA, Intel, and then Marvell has their Octeon 10 device, which is also in this class of a DPU. And then there are some fringe players that are trying to become mainstream, like AMD Pensando uh, is certainly a player. Yeah, and just for Intel's sake, it's E2000, I believe, for e, the Mount okay. Evans, yeah. I remember the number, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so there, there are different vendors in this space. Uh, um, is there a common standards that if I'm an application developer, and how will I, do I have to develop application for different vendors, or is there a common SDK type of approach that these guys, uh, uh, these guys have? Um, is there any standards around this uh, for application developers or firmware de developers like us? Say, so if, if you look at the history of SmartNIC, this was a mistake that was made. That every SmartNIC became a proprietary ecosystem, and it balkanized the market and prevented any individual card or solution from growing really to you know to be useful across the industry. So we've started the collection of companies that F5 is a member of this. The open programmable infrastructure, which is a Linux Foundation open source effort. And the intent of that is to take silicon vendors, uh, middleware PaaS vendors like Red Hat and ISV vendors like F5 and systems vendors like Dell uh, and have us collaborate to try to create an open source ecosystem such that if you create an application to run on a deep view, you can move it from the Marvell solution to the Intel solution to the NVIDIA solution without changing your application. And somebody who's buying these systems, an end customer of Verizon and AT&T or Comcast, can likewise go to an ISV, buy a product, and move it across their fleet of DPU-based servers and largely have it interoperate. And that helps everybody in the space 
by having an open ecosystem. Yeah, and just to add with regards to standards, this card complies to PCIe, and you don't need to buy a proprietary server uh, to enjoy this and uh, the benefits of DPU. This is a pluggable PCIe device that would comply to the servers that you may have. You might need to upgrade your servers because the PCI because of the PCIe uh, bandwidth that uh, your cr- server currently may have. But uh, it is something that is uh, very uh, standardized in terms of uh, physical form factor and. As Tim said, uh, you would enjoy the benefits of uh, this OPI project where you can, uh, you know, define what you want to do and then the uh, abstraction layer could help you uh, accelerate the workloads that you would need. So you don't need to worry about which vendor am I using. Yeah, and I mean, obviously the vendors are going to have their own proprietary drivers, the ways to access and control their hardware offloads. The idea is to create a software stack above that with abstraction layers so that when the functionality is quite common across these cards, there's a common way with an, uh, with, abs- with an abstraction component that maps to the vendor-specific driver that the consumer of that doesn't have to deal with. As long as they write to the OPI definition, it will get translated in the stack to the vendor-appropriate definition on the individual cards. Yeah, so many aspects of lifecycle management will be covered by OPI where, you know, how to bring the card up uh, and how to provision the standard use cases. And then uh, the extensions uh, will still go through the OPI framework such that uh, you would enjoy the vendor proprietary extensions. But still, uh, the majority of the operations should follow how OPI has defined the use cases and the lifecycle management aspects of the DPU or the IPU. Sorry, I was just going to say, I have a real high level question for you guys quick. So if I'm, again, if I'm unfamiliar with the technology, what kind of speeds are we talking about here that we can actually flow through these XPUs, if you will? Okay. So uh, in uh, today's uh, world where we may have a virtual function or a container function running on pure uh, CPU on a cost server, you might see up to like 20 gig, 40 gig-ish speeds, but with this uh, DPU or IPU technology, I think we can easily double the speeds and the ideal speeds that we're looking at is, for example, on a one rack unit, uh, we want to target up to 150 gig or 200 gig type of uh, workloads on a single rack unit form. So it is quite impressive in a way that uh, you would definitely increase your efficiency uh, and your spendings that you're going to have with these type of new technologies. Yeah, I I would think that's uh, amazing if you can put that into uh, sort of an architecture that is spread horizontally through ECMP or something like that. I worked for a while on a, a, a SmartNIC project that was ECMP horizontal spread, and gosh, the the, the speeds were just tremendous for DNS. Yeah, you you just uh, trigger my uh, idea. So ECMP is something that we currently use today which usually has a target of uh, 32 or maybe like maximum 64. But maybe you guys covered this in a previous podcast, like service chaining, but technologies like uh, segment routing V6, these technologies can provide a way to distribute traffic amongst uh, thousands or millions of destinations, and they can scale beyond the ECMP uh, scaling limits. And the CPU technology has networking device that can hold a uh, routing table or a pipeline data plane pipeline 
which can help uh, the destination uh, disaggregation uh, in a hardware uh, manner with uh, massive scalability for the container functions. So it is a very promising technology that can uh, address the limits of the current uh, ECMP uh, that we are facing. That's great to hear. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I think all of the cards coming out have 100 gig ports on them. 100 gigabit Ethernet ports. You know, they might have multiple ports, but those might be there for redundancy. I think the mileage may vary based on what kind of an infrastructure service you try to stand up on the card. I think if you're looking at the accelerators and if the work is being done in the accelerators, yeah, you're going to get 100 to 200 gigabits per performance. But if every packet has to touch a CPU that's being hosted on that card, you know, you're going to slow down, right? So if you try to stand up a, a WAF, a web application firewall, and the packets have to have some heavy lift done on the Mac connection setup, you know, you're probably not going to get 200 gigabits on that. You might get, you know, 50 gigabits or 25 gigabits. But even that's impressive considering it represents no work for your host server. Yeah, and even for those security workloads, uh, the uh, TLS workloads can be uploaded on the security accelerator. So it will be much faster or 10, 10x faster than a pure CPU-based server workload. So yeah. as Tim said, it is uh, very dependent on the uh, use case that you're addressing. If it's a pure, uh, you know, mobile broadband data playing function, uh, networking offload, you might uh, get close to a wire speed. Uh, but if you're looking at a CPU type of use case uh, where we can offload or accelerate certain aspects of it, uh, it will be 10x faster and separated purely from the uh, host workload or the application workload. So it, it is a very uh, impressive way of uh, scaling things up. Okay. Can we use XPU as an offload mechanism? And at the same time, can we leverage those interfaces as pass-through where we are sending traffic directly to the host processor for virtual machines or containers that are hosted on the host CPU? Yeah, I think that's, that's obviously a use case where you want to separate the traffic as it comes into the card. Some of it gets forwarded directly to host, you know, host server applications. Some of it has to go through the card. Maybe returns back to the network directly from that and never goes to the hosted applications. And some of the traffic goes to the card compute and then gets passed upstream. So I think all three of those are quite valid flows for different use cases. Yeah, you, you can use it for those use cases where, you know, the card becomes a preprocessor and then only the workloads that needs to be, you know, passed off to the host CPU will be passed. So it is something that would help scale the host application as well. Yeah, we, we, we prototyped a use case with GTBU tunnels where we were basically inspecting the tunnels, identifying tunnels of interest and all passing only those two applications running on the host and the rest were just being passed back to the network in a flow through manner. So we could basically cherry pick tunnels that needed whatever extra service we were trying to provide and deliver those to the compute that was providing the service on the, on the server and using the DPU as the mechanism to do that filtering. Another, another question for me, um, for, for those people out here that have been doing SmartNIC projects already, I've talked to a number of them, uh, in the community, uh, are there going to be any differences with regards to bonding and using IPUs and DPUs versus what they've done with their smart NICs? Is, is Linux kernel treat that any different or bond is a bond? Well, uh, I think bond is a bond, but uh, the DPUs have a an option to build a fast path between uh, the DPU cards. So this is 
something that is still in the concept phase maybe but if yeah. there was a link between a dpu card and a dpu card which process numa boundaries of a host node then we don't have to uh, go through the slow path of cpu to cpu we can go through the fast path between the dpus which crosses numa boundaries such that we can build a use case where the traffic may enter the pcie card of a numa zero but then it would go through the fast path without being impacted by the the double cpu pass and go to the numa one uh, via the fast path so it's slightly different from your question around bonding, but uh, we can build a higher scale uh, networking infrastructure fronting the CPU workloads, uh, which is uh, somewhat can replace the uh, bonding type of uh, redundancy or bandwidth addition to the infrastructure. So it, it brings in a new use case for us, a uh, host node, uh, which has uh, maybe like two sockets commonly. So I, I, I think when you look at NICs in general and smart NICs and now DPUs, the as we've transitioned from a port to a couple ports for redundancy to now many ports, I don't think that the NIC cards have really made that transition smoothly to, hey, you need to be more like a switch, you need to have LACP services. I think that's something where smart NICs have failed. And the DPU people have not yet truly stepped into that space to solve it. Uh, and then the solution space is even bigger when you say, oh, what if I have two or four cards in the same server? And they may manage jointly and share a common port space. That's also an unsolved problem. But it isn't in unsolvable. It's just we haven't solved it yet. And it may be something that OPI or some other standards group will take on. Maybe an IEEE will get involved in that as well. I think it's unsolved at this point. It's going to be an issue. So from F5 perspective, I'm, I'm very excited about the OPI standards. I know in the past, uh, we have tried multiple things, uh, but standards is something we were not doing. But being part of standard uh, community, uh, Tim and Aki, a uh, question to both of you guys, what's the commitment from a FI perspective? What what are we contributing and what we are trying to solve in that particular space and drive the standards? Well, in the case of OPI, we are a founding member. We helped orchestrate the earliest meetings between the initial founding members. Uh, we were part of the initial energy we got the company to step up and, and put some money right into it to, to help launch it. Uh, we helped get it into Linux Foundation, and now we participate. We're on the governing board. We're on the steering committee. We participate in the working groups. As it goes forward, we need to invest now more engineering than we have in the past, so hopefully we'll see that as we go forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we believe that uh, this uh, forum is the only way to accelerate the adoption of the new technology because we don't want proprietary hardware, proprietary provisioning, and every time a vendor changes their mind uh, regarding roadmap, a uh, service provider has to, you know, plan six months of re-engineering infrastructure. Th that is uh, not a good way to manage the private cloud infrastructure. So I think uh, we will be spending a lot of time on uh, standardizing the, the work processes and pipelines such that, you know, a vendor or service providers can enjoy multiple vendor solutions without uh, worrying too much about the differences between the vendors. Inter interoperability and vendor agnostic, those are the buzzwords. And if you just take FU's slant on this, right? We build infrastructure services. That's historically what we build and sell. The deployment of DPUs broadly creates an entirely new landing zone for our services to be deployed on. So 
as an ISV vendor selling infrastructure services, this is an ideal place for us to be, assuming that the whole thing doesn't implode because of vulcanization in the market by companies fighting it out with proprietary solutions. So OPI is the play to prevent that from happening. And it seems like everybody got burned enough in the smart neck world that they're pretty much on board with it. We see a few outliers. Uh, VMware, I might call out, is not participating right now. But pretty much all everybody else in the software stack and in the silicon layers are there. So. Yeah, and uh, some of the listeners out there may have heard, but the, the recent acquisition of Lilac, that actually brings in a lot of new potential for F5 to accelerate those type of efforts because that company has a abstraction uh, processor that can you know help bring in different types of hardware. That technology also has functions like uh, the test functions that they bring into the uh, cloud world where we can automate the test processes of uh, the bring-ups of those new processes. So uh, I think uh, we we have a lot of <laughs> work to do in terms of you know standardizing, but we have uh, all the tools we need to build the tools service provider needs. We just have to uh, release them as soon as possible because we already are in a good position to deliver those functions as a, as a vendor. Do you want to make any comment, Aki, on very specific service provider use case that this lights up or enables? Yes. So um, maybe I'll touch on the initial focus uh, use case of this uh, technology. So service providers are uh, currently uh, you know, struggling in the scaling of uh, the SGI LAN or NS6 uh, data plane uh, because they need to aggregate uh, hundreds of gateways or cost server-based uh, UPFs or packet gateways and, and aggregate them with a layer three and then consider how to disaggregate them to the uh, container network functions using technologies like ECMP or resilient ECMP, etc. But uh, the initial uh, target we were looking at is to provide the distributed disaggregation function per se, uh, because we want to make sure that the, this disaggregation happens at the gateway or the anchor point before it gets aggregated. So uh, we're looking at providing the load balancing function at the gateway, uh, deciding on where the traffic should go before it gets uh, blindly aggregated by layer three. So the initial use case we're looking at as the upstream disaggregation for service provider traffic, uh, providing a subscriber persistence on uh, which container functions the traffic shall go to. So scaling out these container network functions uh, like uh, CGNAT or firewall and the distribution of those, that's the initial target uh, use case that we're going to work on this year and provide some form of demonstrable uh, environment using those technologies. That's the initial target. Subscriber aware horizontal scaling. Exactly. Yeah. Any other final thoughts from you, Tim? Lockwinder? Um, my, my, my final thought would be that the DPU market is very nascent. Uh, we're just in the earliest moments of it as it's emerging. And people should have some patience and say, well, it didn't change the world a year from now. That doesn't mean it isn't about to change the world. It's going to take a little while to build this momentum. But to me, it feels like the early days of a rising tide, the next wave, it's coming. Uh, its true form maybe is a little fuzzy yet, but there's no denying that 
this technology and the way it's used is going to change uh, the way networks and data centers and clouds are built. Yeah, and in today's compute world, maybe like uh, over 90% of the CPU workload is uh, probably x86 based, but there's a market forecasting reaching uh, around a third of the compute resource being dominated by ARM type of uh, compute uh, resources. So it is very critical that we focus on these technologies else uh, F5 will naturally lose uh, 30% of the addressable market. So it is something that we will definitely uh, pursue uh, as a path towards the evolution of a private cloud infrastructure. On that note then, I'd like to thank you all for joining me this month and hopefully uh, we'll see you again in the future. Thank you, Aubrey. Thanks, Aubrey. Thank you, Aubrey. Thanks for tuning in to The Local Loop, where the provider meets the community. The Local Loop is produced by DevCentral, the F5 community, as a feature on DevCentral Podcasts. Thanks and have a great F5 day. <laughs>